Warning, this podcast contains scenes of explicit nonsense and lore. Previously on the Resident Evil podcast. The information from these super soldiers has been as a direct result of the UT troopers from Resident Evil Survivor. And it wouldn't surprise me if Wilson had ties to Simmons and the family. Obviously in my head canon, because Capcom wouldn't do that, but you know. It's not that I didn't dislike it, it's just that I didn't really particularly feel anything for it as such. It's because of the increase in survival horror that it's turned off the Japanese market, who bought so many copies of Operation Raccoon City and made it a number one in Japan. There's a new CG production coming up. I mean, if Leon's not in it, I would be very surprised. Basically, what you're saying is if they wanted Village to succeed, they needed Leon rather than Chris. Probably, yeah. Welcome to episode 72 of the Resident Evil podcast. 25 years and my life is still trying to get that song out of my head. I'm Nick, better known as Neptune. Let's see who's joining us today. Law references that are actually accurate to the game. He was shocked. It's the Batman. Hello there. He's wondering where the hell Jill Valentine is. It's Star's Tyrant. Hello. And he predicted the movie trailer release to the day. It's Rombie. Hello. <laughs> you did, to the day. <laughs> you got it right. There we go. It's 20 years, believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, since the first Wesker's Report DVD was bundled with the PlayStation 2 version of Resident Evil Code Veronica X in PAL regions. It came out in March with Code Veronica Complete in Japan, but for the rest of us, certainly in Europe, it was September, so it's been 20 years since that came out. So we want to celebrate that first Wesker's Report DVD and other supplemental material because for many, that DVD was the first time that we received any form of expanded universe, additional uh, documentary lore to discuss and uh, what a DVD it was. So we were going to have a whistle-stop tour of many reports that have been uh, commissioned since by Capcom, Wesker's Report 2 and others, uh, all the way up to the latest one, which is that Baker Report, uh, which came part as Resident Evil Village. Uh, we're going to take a retrospective look at these documents, what made them special at the time, what revisions have been made over the years, and what they bring to the table law-wise. We're also going to have a sub-discussion on Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City, oh yes, the new live-action trailer has dropped, and then of course we finish off with Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. So before that, it's the news. We'll start with the second trailer that's been released since our last podcast. That is the trailer for Resident Evil 4 VR. In fact, by the time this podcast comes out, we should be very, very close to its release date, which I think is 21st of October, I believe. Uh, It's coming out on the Oculus Quest 2, and uh, it's a unique take on Leon's tale in rural Spain. What does everyone think of the trailer? Impressed or a bit mm, not sure? Um, I think it looks fine for what it is. I think it'd be very interesting to experience the original 
game in VR. They seem to have done a lot of work to it. There's a lot of brand new textures in there that look a lot better than the original. I think it looks fine, but I'll certainly play it if I can. Will it tempt you to buy an Oculus Quest 2? Not specifically for that, no. But, you know, if I ever got the chance to have a go on it, I certainly would. We know with the rumoured remake in development, I'm just surprised this is even a thing. I know there's been some controversy behind it because of the, the certain changes they've made and certain lines being cut, etc. And yes. I was reading earlier as well that there's not going to be any um, of the extra content included, so there's not going to be anything like separate ways in there. But as far as I'm aware, you know, even just the base game will make it a lot longer than most games available for the Oculus Quest. I mean, this is basically going to be the GameCube version, isn't it, really, in terms of content-wise? Um, so only today we've learned that separate ways, as you said, not going to be included, unlikely to have mercenaries as well. So it's just going to be the core mission for Leon. Rob, what I want to discuss with you, there looks to be some new puzzles have been added, or at least adapted puzzles to take advantage of the VR interface as well. And there's some quite a cool typewriter they have going on where you save and, and things like that. And yeah. the, the way the inventory looks, I thought, looked quite smart. I think from a VR perspective, it's doing some really interesting things. And I guess the whole point, I mean, it's being funded by essentially Facebook and Oculus. So the idea is that obviously they're going to put as many interesting gimmicks I know it's terrible to use the word gimmick, but realistically they are, to make that really work. And so these are all very interesting ways. Even the you know ammo and, and stuff accessing from a belt and, and all that sort of stuff. I mean, the problem I have with it is that it's such an, a fast-paced game. I'm going to be very interested to see what the player feedback is on it and how they've managed to make that work more than anything else. It's great yeah. to have all these extra features that work for these sorts of things where you've got the time, but I think it's going to have a very steep learning curve at first. Don't you have to manually like move your hands to different parts of your body in order to pick up yeah. a particular item? Yeah, And manually reload as well. So so when you want to reload, you have to do it, which is part of the course for a lot of VR games. But when you've got a guy with a chainsaw coming at you, I'd be interested to see what the, especially that opening siege is, is really like. Um, opening siege yeah. the that lift scene towards the end where you're just bombarded with and, and various but it's just even even some of the more tougher boss fights um i'm going to assume they've made some modifications too just to making sure that some of these things and, and obviously having to deal with i'm assuming they're going to limit the amount of like quick time events to certain things that are more context-based so like just running around and then something pops out can't do that as easily i think there's two moving setups is one that's more traditional and they've gone for the like jump location yeah yep. teleporting thing as well but it's interesting that they've provided both too so i think it looks better than everyone game. thought it was going to look um, yeah. graphically the main thing i picked up on and i thought oh, okay that's going to be a cool experience and i think this is what they're gonna they're really marketing this this is a different experience to four and i, and I think it probably will be the way el gigante looked in terms of you actually can be looking up to fight him i think that will be quite a special moment i'm hoping that that gives that kind of gravitas to the fact that you're facing off against a lord of the rings cave troll i'm hoping to hear some positive feedback on how el gigante it was in vr but we'll see we'll see it's um, I, I think everyone i think community generally was quite pleasantly surprised about how it did look uh, which is which is always encouraging whether it encourages people to actually part with their cash and buy an oculus quest 2 and i think it is only oculus quest 2 that it works for we'll see we'll see but i said by the time the podcast comes out we'll be close to release so i suspect the reviews will come flooding in very shortly indeed.
Uh, next bit of news comes from the world of board games. And that's right, Resident Evil the board game is coming. So we've already had Resident Evil 2, the board game, highly successful. Uh, we've had Resident Evil 3, the board game, which is very, coming very soon, I think. It's not don't think it's quite out yet or very close to being released but the new one which is in its kickstarter level is resident evil the board game based on the mansion incident a trailer dropped uh, which was quite cool because it kind of almost like an overlap of both remake and original kind of combined into one mansion experience so um for all you board game lovers out there that's another one to tick i haven't really checked out any of these board games but uh, i'm quite tempted by this one i'm quite tempted to do the kickstarter i know first dead spray rave about them and i've heard lots of positive things about the two and three board games so I'm, I'm quite tempted to check this one out but i don't really know a lot about it or how it works but i'm certainly interested to give it a go i'm with you john though i've not played any of these board games um not that's not to detriment of their quality far from it but they're a different type of board game aren't they almost like a story based it's almost like dungeons and dragons-esque isn't it with the way you navigate through particular parts so i don't have enough friends to play that i'm afraid champs <laughs> But Rob, what about you? Anything you're looking into? No, I mean, it's just the same thing. I remember when the uh, card game came out, my friend out of Happenstance just happened to get all of those sorts of card games, and he happened to buy the card game and a few of the um, booster packs. And I did sit down and play it with him a couple of times. He would be the only person I know, really enough, who would probably also play the board game. And I don't even live in the same city as him, so unfortunately, um, yeah. If one of you get one of the sets, even if it's the first one or, or, or anything, I think it would be hilarious. Um, there's a meet-up to uh, actually play a game. That does conclude the gaming news. We now turn our attentions to the site news, and as always, we'd like to firstly thank our new patrons who have joined us. Uh, Lee, Stacy, and Retroviral, a big thank you to you guys for becoming our patrons. If you're interested in supporting our little podcast, then head over to our website and you should find a link to the Patreon uh, on the bottom of the page but we do have some site news as well and in preparation for this podcast and i would strongly recommend everyone pause the podcast now and check out our website because batman you have translated jessica's report it's one of the topics that we're going to be talking about one of the extra supplemental materials that uh, will populate our podcast this evening uh, you've, you've done a uh, translation of that and that is now up on the website under our features tab so if you head over there you can read uh, this japanese only report uh, john does anything you want to add about that and i first translated it 10 years ago when the revelations report first came out with the japanese special edition of the game but obviously that translation was very very dated so i just wanted to update it and make it a bit more accurate i think it does help flesh out the uh, the concepts behind revelations a lot and it's just one of those things that you know like the baker report in village it should have been part of the original game and it should have been available in english from the get-go have a look on that everyone i think you'll in- it's quite a good read actually i said it's kind of done in an interview style quite a good little read that does conclude our our site news we now turn our attentions to our sub discussion of the evening where we're going to be looking at the recently released welcome to raccoon city trailer every story has a beginning <laughs> discover the origin of evil why are you back here claire your conspiracies weren't true when we were kids they're not true now we need to expose umbrella Watch this. I'm afraid, Claire. I'm afraid of what they're gonna do to this town. You see, Umbrella, they had an incident. I'm talking Chernobyl, if you know what I mean. People are getting sick. You gotta help us, Claire. Let the world know what's really going on. 
Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's here. It's dropped out last. People had been complaining and complaining and complaining about Sony's marketing regime for this particular release. But Rob, yeah. you, you, were, you were very calm about the situation, generally speaking, and you can have your say in a second. But most importantly, <laughs> the trailer has now dropped and we've had a good look at Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City live action movie reboot. And in case you haven't known, there are actually two trailers out. You've got the four non-blondes version, <laughs> which was the kind of main one that was released uh, at least to English speaking uh, audiences and then there was the official officially released international version which doesn't have the four non-blondes and is a bit more spoilery I think that's probably fair to say it shows a bit more but it's probably better structured as a, as a trailer I would I, I'd hazard a guess at the way you see more things but it, it kind of builds itself up a bit better so do check them out uh, just to get a good feel and understanding of where this film is going dare I say it ladies and gentlemen I'm quite excited and I, in fact I did do a bit of a um, reaction video uh, on our YouTube page. So if you want to see me talk a bit of rubbish about the <laughs> about the trailer, then you can do so. Um, but I- I'm quite excited because as a kind of headline to it all, regardless of whether this movie is going to be awful or not, and we don't know at the moment, it is at least a bit more accurate to the source material. And I think if you're a fan of the games, it should have at least piqued your interest. As I said, it could still be atrocious. It could be poor, you know, it could be a terrible film, not much better than some of the Anderson films. But you can tell from the number of Easter eggs that are in the in the trailer alone should give us all a bit of confidence that Johannes Roberts, the director, unlike Paul W.S. Anderson, is a big fan of the games, or at least Remake 2. <laughs> so I'm quietly optimistic, quietly cautious, but excited. And I'm looking forward to going back to the cinema to see it. And I'm hoping fulfills my expectations, which are middling, I think is probably the best way to say. I hope it's good. I hope it's solid. In other words, I hope it's a bit like the Silent Hill film, which I personally thought was quite good. So there we go. Rombi, what did you want to say? <laughs> is, um, are you going to bring it? You're not going to lower the tone. You, I'm, I'm going to try not to, but I was about to say... You know how you guys, in particular, have rants every once in a while about the community and their reactions to things? I've been absolutely disgusted, disgusted by the constant moaning (laughs) about this. Like, it's one thing after another. It's like, first it's like, oh, the way the characters look, oh, it doesn't look like the game characters. Then it's like, when's the trailer going to drop? And as you alluded to at the start of this episode, I predicted to the day, it's exactly seven weeks before the movie came out. But the problem is there's all these people talking about all the stuff that they don't realize, they don't understand. Oh, but this pitches out, so there must have been a trailer drops. Not guaranteed. And most companies will release stills for the movie, sometimes months, sometimes during the production, sometimes after it wraps. It's about just having those stills available for people who are doing magazines and stuff online to have an image. That's literally the point of it. And there was the whole, oh my God, the number of videos. Oh, it's reshooting. That means it's going to be terrible. It's like, no, just about every film does some sort of reshoots or pickups because when you get to the edit you realize oh we didn't get coverage of this or we didn't get that shot of that or a scene which seemed okay when you were filming it you realize uh it doesn't quite play the way you wanted it to or around the other stuff you shot or you realize you didn't get coverage and you need to go back and get these things and that's what those shoots are usually for they're usually for filling holes and probably between 85 and 90 percent of movies 
do these sorts of reshoots. It's completely common. But the number of people were like, oh, reshoots, therefore bad. And then yeah. <laughs> just the level of racism. Oh my God. This character doesn't look like this. This character looks like he's from here. This like, The number of racist names I've seen. Like, I was just, as I jokingly said on one post that I saw on Facebook, it's literally like, if it talks like a duck and walks like a racist, uh, it's probably a racist. There's so many people were like, oh, well, I'm not being racist because... I'm decreeing this and I, I just think the character doesn't look right but then they'll make some derogatory term oh my god I've just does it really matter like no, and to the point Nick, that you just made about like the easter eggs the thing about the easter eggs in the trailer is that they're consistent I don't think they're supposed to be easter eggs what it is is just the fact that much like as you certain the Silent Hill film the film is shot to have as much visual connection constantly through the movie mm. so you pull any scene in and put it in a trailer it's going to have those things and I think that's a good thing I think that shows reverence and understanding of the source material and some of those easter eggs are to do with the OG games and some of them to do with the remakes but they're all references when you finally watch the finished film that's going to be consistent because the art direction the direct the writers the producers decided to make this film to feel like it's part of the game franchise that's the idea for them is to have it be like the game so therefore they're going to put in the ammo packets from the remakes and they're going to put in the kendo's gun shop sign and they're going to put in yep. the orphanage artwork and they're going to put in those background details like a piece of artwork that appears in remake one that's now hanging in the background of the mansion like they're going to have those details and recreate the entranceway to the mansion you know visually correct because that's their focus that's what they want to do it's not easter eggs but it's still people complaining oh it's too much and it's just like, well, you know what happens at the other end? Like, yeah. you saw Paul W.S. Anderson's films, and the, the first movie in particular, you take away Umbrella, T-Virus, and Liquor, and basically, it's just a generic zombie movie. That's it. In Raccoon City, you take those elements away, and, and that's the, the way you want to go. Like, you want to go back to the way we've been? We've got six of those movies. You can rewatch them whenever you like. It's just like playing a remake, you know? Like, we've still got the original games. There's nothing stopping you going back to the originals well if you don't like this movie you can go back to your paul ws anderson films and enjoy those instead because <laughs> some people like myself would rather see an actual faithful movie and then that's a complaint too because people were like oh this is terrible because it's too much like the games and i'm like are you kidding me like no video game movie is hardly like the games like they're all mostly not like anything like the games can we at yeah. least let one movie try this like Silent Hill kind of got halfway there visually. This might actually follow some plot. Oh, no. The events of 1 and 2 are being combined into one day. I can't have it. Oh, God. But no, I, I agree. Morning. It's been very tiresome. They can't, as you said, they, it doesn't look like they can win. If it's too too out there, then it's not resident evil enough. But if they... If it's too on the nose, no, it's just too on the nose. Or you know, it, it is odd. I mean, it is an adaptation. They've made you know, it's not supposed to be literal one to one. So I've seen that argument before. Going as you said, that that kind of like closet is kind of xenophobic. Um, regards, well, Leon doesn't look right or something like that. And you're like, it's not supposed to be one to one. It's an adaptation. You know, and the director, when casting, has chosen the best person they think that can embody the character they want to play and the story they want to tell, adapting the yeah. storylines from two and uh, one and two. So 
you know, give the guy it's a also bit of creative that, freedom. It's the thing. The moaning is, oh, well, the other parts of the game, of the movie, are supposed to look at the games, and yet your actors don't look like the characters. It's like, that doesn't really matter. Like, it's not going to be one... F- they're not going to go to the RPD and find it doesn't have bathrooms. No, exactly. Example. Like... <laughs> it doesn't matter like it's not telling that story it's not a game it's a movie but it's going to try and add as much visual representation of what they want mood they want that style of the games it's going to tell its own story just like a sequel to a resident evil game is going to be that's the idea but i i've never seen i thought i'd seen very fevering people when back in 2000 and 2001 i think it was or late 2000, the Paul W.S. Anderson first film, the first bit of information we got about it was the variety information. And it said, basically, military task force deals with the supercomputer. The internet, as it was then for the Resident Evil fans, lost their collective crap because they were like, that doesn't what, that doesn't even sound like Resident Evil. What is that? And, and if you read that logline, honestly, it doesn't sound anything like Resident Evil. It has nothing to do with zombies or monsters or anything. And then more information came out. And then there was the first picture of Alice in the laser hallway with the red dress and yeah. whole in the guns and again everyone lost their plot because they were like well this doesn't look anything like it but at the end of the day everyone kind of just got over it and either loved the film or didn't love the film and that's fine and i suspect that will be the same but i just the amount i've seen before the movie has even come out like we've had a handful of images and now we've finally had a trailer and the trailer i have to admit at least has gotten some people go man it doesn't look as bad as i thought it was going to be but this is weren't I, even giving it a chance and there'll be still no. people out there who who will never give it a chance because leon doesn't look like leon or because the there's too much of this or too little of that and i'm just like can we just wait until the movie's out and then you can moan all you want once you've seen it oh but no but i'm going to torrent it because i don't want to support this crap all right fine whatever useless no it is it is, <sighs> it is, it is terrible and i think objectively any resident evil fan should be at least interested in it now following the trailer whether they go see it or not of course that's 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 up you know up to you but i think objectively it you know because it's closer to the source material it should pique some interest um it looks like it's going to be a, a redfield centric plot which is good and just just as a caveat to anyone unaware um rombie here does actually work in the movie industry <laughs> so and when he's talking about the reshoots and the, the frequency of it and stills uh, it does come from a uh, a voice of authority in terms of how well i don't want to say i'm a voice of authority but i'm at least educated enough. Yes. i think this is the thing that i think this is the thing that bugged me a lot it's like all you need to do to find the stuff like the thing with the stills for example just look at any other film that's about a mid mid-level budget and you'll see that the average trailer doesn't drop until at least normally about eight weeks or less but people don't realize this there i think they're accustomed to disney budgets where you know you yeah. get a or you know a big tentpole tentpole movies are going to have trailers in advance you're going to get a james bond trailer i mean admittedly this covid thing for example example is probably thrown it way off but normally <laughs> if the movie come out that trailer will start dropping months in advance because it's a big deal so they've got money for the marketing and the same with your marvel films and your star wars and all you know anything disney's putting out they've got money to throw at it because they want people to see it but for a mid-level budget movie a horror movie an action general stuff like this you you, you three months is pretty much your max because they don't want the trailer out too early that people will forget it's coming but they don't want it too short that it isn't enough time so usually that kind of two to three months is a, is a good range and so seven to eight weeks for a movie of the size perfectly normal and yeah expected and as you as i said we, we picked it to the day because paul ws anderson movie trailer launched seven mu- weeks uh to the day before the movie came out and this did too so it, it proves that the point is still there they still run studio 
studios run these trailer releases like clock. As George Lucas says, like poetry, it rhymes. Uh, Batman, you were suitably impressed, I think, as well from your general comments. Uh, two areas you uh, raised um, that we haven't really touched upon was the combination or the combining, if you like, of Resident Evil 1 and 2 into one movie. I think you were of the view that why not? And then secondly was the, the, the kind of Easter egg slash references and the, the scarily accurate details that someone has actually gone through in order to make it you know, in line with the canon of the games, at least. Um, so did you want to touch upon that? First of all, I think the the movie itself looks perfectly fine. I'm not expecting it to be the best thing in the world, but um, it certainly doesn't look bad. I take Umbridge a bit like Rob with the way a lot of people have criticised it, saying, oh, God, there's no budget at all. It looks cheap. But we've got to remember, Johannes Roberts said in his interview five weeks before the trailer was released, he was trying to evoke late 1970s, early 1980s horror films like The Fog, like Assault on Precinct 13, um, Escape from New York. You know, you can see all that in the trailer. And I think a lot of people are mistaken taking that intention for oh god it just looks so cheap it's been made on a on a budget that's um you know lower than the anderson films etc and I, I don't see that as a problem because those films are brilliant and by modern day standards the you know they're very dated in terms of effects and things like that but they are still brilliant films dripping with atmosphere and i can totally see what roberts is going for with this so i wouldn't at all look on that as a negative in terms of combining both storylines into one film i mean i would do the same if i was him if i was a, a director who was given the keys to make a, a Resident Evil reboot film there's no guarantee you're going to be invited back to make a sequel there's no guarantee it's going to make enough money to make a sequel it could be your only chance and if Roberts is heavily influenced by remake 2 and he wants to make that his focus the mansion incident is so iconic why not put that in there you know if he thinks he can do it why not do it he might not get another chance again it's going to be interesting I think we heard the running time is going to be around 100 minutes 106 minutes yep. which is I think what we expected I I certainly wasn't expecting it to be above two hours. So whether he can do both scenarios justice, we'll have to wait and see. I'm interested in the recreations of the main hall and the RPD. I was a bit disappointed to see it looks to be largely green screen, which sort of contradicts his comments, really, because he said, you know, they received the blueprints from Capcom and they built these locations and it was weird walking through them. It's kind of hard to tell. I thought maybe it's green screen, but maybe it's just it's just a very basic construction considering the angles they got, but we won't know until we see the finished film how much artificial movement we've got in the room but, yeah. but i think I mean, considering the other partial sets i think feel like part of it was built and part of it's extended digitally yeah the police station main hall looks that way from the glimpse we get it looks like the the reception desk and everything is practical but everything behind it is you know the water goddess statue etc is potentially cg yeah. that that is another thing that i'd forgotten about was all the all the rambling about the cheap cg and yeah okay not every cg look shot looks great the tank of falling over is not amazing cg but plenty of movies have not great cg and they're still good movies mm. cg is not going to break it what's going to break it is narrative and realism and story and your belief in the characters i mean cg you'll get past so yeah there's been a lot of grumbling about the film but i can't think not a single resident evil fan hasn't got excited when you've seen the exterior shots of the rpd in the rain you know, when you've seen scenes recreated from the games like the truck driver, even as his little cheeseburger on his dashboard, the Wesker's Report 2 stuff is, is such an impressive detail because not a lot of people spot that. You know, your casual movie audience 
goer won't spot it. And even for fans, unless you you know you screenshot it on or pause it, sorry, on YouTube or whatever, you're not going to see it. So for him to go to the you know the effort of putting that in there is is obviously going to get the fans on side and all the other visual references as well. It's clever. It's common sense. You're going to do that stuff to get the fans on side. Some of them maybe are a bit too on the nose, like the zombie writing itchy, tasty, and blood on the glass. I don't know if that's maybe a bit, <laughs> a bit too on the nose. But then on the other side of the coin, you've got stuff like the the Ashford video clip, which was just genius, mm. really. Creatures. I'm sort of maybe a little bit disappointed. I mean, hopefully they're holding stuff back. But I would I was personally hoping we'd get to see you know a hunter or maybe some other creature because we've seen the zombie dogs so many times which I know people are expecting you do want them to be in there um, and the liquor which, which I think looks good it's a nice redesign from the original yep. films but I'm hoping we get to see a few more creatures in there I don't know I, if that, I don't think we will the big CG is, I'm assuming it's the final form of G Birkin at the end the eyes it definitely looks like G, it's supposed to be G Birkin yeah I mean I'm surprised they're going down that route I must admit if I was directing this film I would stay away from some of the more outlandish creature designs like the yawn and the shark and the the excessive Birkin mutations because I'd like to sort of keep it grounded in realism but fair play to him you know to Roberts for just decided to go fuck it and just put everything in there why not (laughs) yeah I I, I probably would have gone with a tight I probably would have gone with a more traditional tyrant design myself yeah yeah. I would have left G I'm not sure how much the G virus is needed they could have easily replaced the G virus storyline with the T virus yeah just substitute the virus you know or an enhanced T virus or something like that well it Maybe look, look. we may find then we may find in this since there is no G virus, it is some That's sort true. of T variant. Yeah. We we it we, looks we don't like know we get hunk. I think the uh, T virus leak is going to come from the mansion and it's going to filter its way into the city. I think. I think it's already happened before the movie started. I think Claire goes to see Chris. He doesn't believe what she's saying, and then he gets ordered by Irons to take Alpha Team to the mansion because Bravo Team have gone missing, and at the same time the police station will go under siege. And yeah, the the supporting background as well by the. F- Sounds like the the town is on the wane. The umbrella has kind of pulled its. It was like the mainstay of umbrella at one point, and it's kind of pulled itself out of the city. But there's yeah. still re- obviously remnants in this rundown kind of concept. And so that there being a leak because of that doesn't sound too unsurprising. And and mm. you could play base it on real world concepts. You know, like the Dow Corporation and the amount of toxic waste that was left behind from various chemicals in the ground and and Dupont and all those sorts of stuff. You know. So I think my only concerns at this time. Are maybe how much characters like Jill and Wesker are going to play a part. I think they're going to be very much sidelined. Yeah. And from what I've seen in the trailers, my biggest disappointment, I would say, is William Birkin's lab looks like it's in his garage or his garden shed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not the high-tech umbrella lab I was expecting. But on the other way, you'd been too ruined by Nist, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, 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 I never thought too. we'd get hunters. I, I can't imagine we get hunters. I think it was either going to be hunters or liquors. Uh, I, I just can't see them doing it. I don't think we're going to get much in the mansion outside of the zombies lisa trevor crimson heads and i think there'll still be two prongs to the storyline so i think claire and leon will deal with birkin g and then i think we're still going to get a tyrant extinction we had a tyrant. It was a dead tyrant wasn't it an extinction similar it was very yeah similar to the to 91 What's your opinion on the trailer, Sean? So I watched, obviously, the uh, uh, and, and I must say the whole aesthetic and uh, tone of that trailer did not work for me in any kind of capacity. I was really excited to see this cast um, in action because um, I think they've got some interesting picks. And, oh, I really hate to say it, but that, that first initial trailer fell totally flat for me. I was really looking forward to seeing Hannah's Jill. And obviously she's in what, two fleeting shots, I think. The second trailer is a lot better, but I 
still came away feeling a little bit empty about the whole thing, which considering I'd already put like no investment toward it at all because I'd gone in with a, you know, kind of attitude that it's non-canon, so I don't really bothered what it does. I still was hoping it would have just inspired something a little bit more in me and I felt it didn't. That said, as we spent sort of the evening discussing it online with people and breaking it down on the, the Discord and hearing Johan Roberts's uh, trailer break, I did find myself warming to it a little bit more, even if I'm not entirely convinced with the content of the trailer but just the idea that we're going to see some accurate designs hopefully accurate more accurate monsters and characters i'm more intrigued than i was but it was more the community sort of rousing me to it than it was the actual content of the trailer if that makes any sense so that is coming out the film is coming out on the 24th of november in america us brits have to wait a bit longer to december the 3rd rob you've got to wait even longer haven't you well in australia it's coming out on the 6th and i've had conversations with local sony rep who inferred to me that because of our current lockdown situation here in new zealand it sounds like the plan was supposed to be the same week as australia so it would have been around the 5th or 6th it may be delayed (laughs) and some websites have had a placeholder for the end of december so i don't know when i'm going to see it and that's all dependent on if our cinemas are currently Uh, i think if you are in the uk and we have to wait i think you're gonna have to avoid the internet for spoilers i do wonder if it's or roberts has given us that tease of a potential sequel with uh, the kind of code veronica hints with the ashfords because i I don't think they're going to be in it i just think it's just going to be a part of claire's investigation we'll never know we'll see let the fingers cross it does well you know know, even if it's a fairly solid movie it gets more people interested in the series i've met loads of people over over the years that have got into the games because of the movies and it it happens it happens you know the more commercially aware people are of the name the better ultimately is for the franchise more people find the games and, and that's good that's the other part of having this aesthetic that's like the games currently or ca- games in general really because if people watch that movie and kind of do like the aesthetic of it like the, the mood or the style they may end up liking the games that they play or not but yeah the idea there's also an IGN everyone there is that a breakdown video from uh, Johannes Roberts as well he goes through the four non-blondes trailer in detail and unlike Paul W.S. Anderson you do get a feeling that he is actually a fan I think even people that, you know, aren't particularly happy with the previous movies, and there's quite a lot of them, I think it's it's hard not to be interested by what the trailer shows, even if there is a lack of Jill. And who who knows, and as Batman, you said, how much is she going to be sidelined along with Wesker? There's a lot to cram in. There's a lot to cram in and to make it a cohesive storyline. I think there's a general difficulty with a film like this. I don't think I don't think it's as easy as people think it would be because you know you're trying to make an A movie based on a triple A game, which itself is based on a B movie. So how do you make an A movie not feel like a B movie? but feel like an A game, but itself is a B movie. You know, there's a lot of aesthetic choices that directors have to make to make it feel genuine, maybe a bit campy, a bit, you know, a bit well, on the it, nose. It kind of goes, really... goes back to what John was saying about the John Carpenter films. I think that's a good middle ground. Because Carpenter yeah. films have a reasonably low budget, but they're pretty high concepts. And they hold a certain style that you can still enjoy, even if there's a bit of a rough edge to it. And I think that's a good way to kind of balance those two things very well we shall see but as i said we are all slightly optimistic well thank you for that discussion point we now turn our attention to the main focal point of the podcast it's the 20th anniversary celebration spectacular of wesker's report and other supplemental materials that came thereafter my name is albert wesker 
I aspired to become a leading researcher at Umbrella Inc., a pharmaceutical enterprise who covertly conducted bioorganic weapons, better known as BOW, for development. But at the leader development training ground situated in Raccoon City, I met a brilliant and talented researcher who made me decide to take a different path. William Birkin. In time, I shifted my position to STARS, a special forces unit of the Raccoon Police Department. Umbrella for crisis management reasons of their illegal bioorganic weapons development had many of its people working in the police department. I became the leader of STARS and conducted all sorts of intelligence activities for Umbrella. As I continued to serve, I devised my own plans and waited for the right moment to execute them. Then at last, opportunity knocked. Here we go. Cast your mind backs, ladies and gentlemen. Cast your mind backs to the dizzying era of 2001. Oh, yeah. And for the first time, for many people, you could get a pre-order of Resident Evil Code Veronica X. And with your pre-order, you got Wesker's report on DVD. It sits proudly in my DVD collection. It was simply the first piece of English translated supplemental material that we got that greatly expanded upon the lore that had been established from Resident Evil 1 all the way up to Resident Evil 3. We'd never seen anything like it before and the good news is that it kind of carried on and we'll, we'll go through some of the other Wesker's reports that we've got. I think it'll be good to start with Wesker's report 1 and everyone's memories and, and your favourite kind of highlights of Wesker's report. That first one on DVD. So, Batman, uh, we'll start with you. Surely this this was this opened your eyes up in 2001 to the, to the wider world. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, obviously, this was years before, you know, YouTube and video sharing websites, etc. This DVD was the first of its kind in many ways. And I was like you, Nick. I watched it over and over again back in the day. Um, it was such a great way to sort of summarise the first three games and add extra information. Touch of genius as well, getting uh, Richard Worf, uh, you know, Wesker's voice actor in Code Veronica to record it as well. Answered some long-standing plot points at the time, like obviously Wesker's resurrection. Yeah, it was just brilliant. And to include it for free as well with your pre-order for the fifth anniversary was um, such a genius. And I know it's been re-released several times since, but I just wish they would do a definitive update mm. with all the new information we've had since. Bit of a missed opportunity maybe when the HD remaster came out to basically repackage the original version albeit with updated video. But yeah, it would be nice if it got a definitive update. And I'm surprised, really, that there has never really been a follow-up to what's essentially Wesker's Report 3 with the extra report. But yeah, happy memories of Wesker's Report 1. I think it's got a lot of unnecessarily flack over the years. I know there's controversy with what the video actually shows compared to what the script actually says, etc., which has led to debates about its potential canonicity or non-canonicity. But for me, it's, it's always been canon and even today I still view it now as, as an essential piece of uh, Resident Evil lore that should be required viewing for everyone really it was written by um, Hiroki Kato who directed Code Veronica and wrote Gaiden so you should know that Nick apparently he was very reluctant to take this extra project on because he was obviously extremely busy at the time with Code Veronica the whole production was very rushed the finished scenario was given to the translator who was told they only had three days to translate the whole thing which is something 
Capcom themselves have said was just a ridiculous request. The translation was somehow completed within that deadline and it was then sent to Richard Waugh who recorded his lines in Canada and then when the VA was all complete Capcom started to make the basic structure of the video and spent hours in the editing suite to get it finished in time for what was a very very tight deadline and interestingly I had a look on uh, the old Wayback Machine on the old Biohazard Portal 5th anniversary website and there's some little tidbits about the production of Wesker's report and it expresses thanks to Taiko Ogasawara who directed the video but it also notes as well that there was no desire to fix this part of the content suggesting that not a lot of effort went into the actual video which again comes as no surprise really because you know people have been saying for years the original video doesn't really tally up with correct events which led to debates about canonicity and the unwritten rule that I certainly remember was if you ignore the video and just listen to the words then it all works out fine big one was when it talks about G-Virus but it's showing Tyrant isn't it, at the end yeah stuff like that the video doesn't really make a lot of sense but I suppose they had limited footage to work with the production was rushed and Capcom have acknowledged in these comments they're making on this old website that the video really wasn't the priority it was more the script the freak murder incident that occurred in a forest near the mansion started it all the mansion was Umbrella's secret bow laboratory and it was clear that the in-development T-virus was the cause of the murder initially Umbrella instructed me secretively to keep stars out of the case but with the heightened emotions of the citizens stars had no choice but to move in Stars Tarrant, what's your long-term memories of this DVD? The first initial memory I'll, I always recall, and um, this is before I even got got it in that in my hand, was just how fucking hard it was to acquire. Because I don't know whether you guys were the same way you were, but I think, was it Electronics Boutique who did it at the time, or, or was it already game at this point? It's it both. was Electronics Boutique. Electronics Boutique. So I pre-ordered Code Veronica X, even though I didn't have a PlayStation 2 at the time, because obviously this was the only way to get it. And when I, I recall the conversation, I had to ring them up, and they basically, said they can't put any copies of Wesker's report aside because they're only getting something like, it was a really low number for Lincoln, like 20 copies. Get, they were going to be distributed first come first serve on the day. Even if you pre-ordered you weren't guaranteed a copy. So I remember having to get to Lincoln before it opened um, and I think I was like the first or second person there so thankfully I was able to get one but I just remember all the stress attached to it because this was like before everybody had really good internet connections so there was no sort of guarantee I was going to be able to watch it. I mean I was still on dial-up in Lincolnshire so if I didn't wasn't able to get hold of the DVD, the chance of me seeing this was was quite low. And uh, like like John says, I absolutely loved it. Um, it was one of the the only times really there has been a sort of supplement video to a series like this. I know like Metal Gear Solid did a Metal Gear Saga disc, which did a similar sort of thing, kind of like recapped um, the series and offered a couple of new points. But this was our only sort of only confirmation in some ways of how Wesker survived, because obviously that was a big thing in the promo running up to you know Code Veronica and subsequently the X-Edition. And although it's quite, quite throwaway, I injected the virus given to me by Birkin in advance. It was still like enough to sort of sate your hunger of of how it happened. Yeah, absolutely. Very fond of it. Uh, and like, I know, yeah, there has been, as John has also said, like inconsistencies with the video. You know, any kind of, any time I do a series replay, I always factor it in. I think it's wonderful. And to hear other Wesker voice actors do their own spins on it has been great. If anyone um, gets a chance, listen to Pablo Kuntz's version, because obviously he is the actor who is Wesker in the footage they use from RE1. So you get a real great sense of continuity with his Wesker, his Wesker's report. Absolutely. And now, now you mention it about the, the, the pre-ordering, I'm, I'm having flashbacks to rushing to game in Southampton and getting in a, definitely getting in a queue. 
to get hold of it, even though because yeah. you paid a fiver. Yeah, you did. Yeah, and was that, that was that was knocked off the price, wasn't it? That's when you, but yeah, twenty. I'm pretty sure certain Lincoln only had twenty copies in. I did. I, I did it again the following year for the collector's edition DVD that came with remake. You, were you also crushingly disappointed, like I was, when we finally got it on? Yes. <laughs> That's when my next order was given. Dispatch stars to the mansion. Dispose of them. Then report the situation to headquarters so that their combat with the bow could be used for data analysis, allowing Umbrella a comprehensive portrait of the bow's combat abilities. From the two stars teams, I first pitched in the Bravo team. As expected, the top elite of stars gave all they had and became useful sample data. Then following, I geared up the Alpha team to search and rescue the lost Bravo team. The members of the Alpha team also proved their worth, and as expected, many died. There were five survivors from the initial 11 STARS members. From the Alpha team were Chris Redfield, Jill Valentine, and Barry Burton. And from the Bravo team were Rebecca Chambers and Enrico Marini. Uh, Rob, what about you? What about you with uh, with this DVD? Well, it's kind of funny. I'm listening to you guys go, oh, well, you know, internet couldn't have watched it. I actually provided a copy of it on my website in April of that year, and it was in compressed into real-time video, which was the smallest format you could get at the time. And I think it clocked in at a very easily downloadable scale for dial-up, which was good for the time. So a large number of people probably saw it through that website. I got a copy from the US funnily enough before it came out so I was sent a copy of Code Veronica X which I still have still sealed never used that came with the disc that came directly from Capcom I believe so I was able to watch it then and shared it online and then the local release came out and I don't even know if it was provided here at all I don't if I hadn't got the copy from the US I may not have got it at all for the same reason you guys had barely any copies it just wasn't a thing um, um, which was a bit of a shame. So I would have only seen it online had I not been sent that copy from the US. The reason the game to this day is still unopened is because I didn't have a modified or US PlayStation to play it on. So yeah, it wasn't, uh, I didn't play it until the PAL version came out itself although funnily enough i did get sent just after gosh now i'm racking my brains i think just after the power release i got a copy of the dreamcast japanese version which i could play with the boot disc so i was able to play that and i still have that copy of that as well i don't think it had a complete power release because i think chaotic claire on twitter she mentioned that it never came to germany on pre-order either i don't know if england was just lucky i don't know perhaps people can let us know all different parts of the world well the one that you did the year following also didn't wasn't a pre-order thing here either that bonus does i might be wrong i may may have just not gone and i mean they might have at the eb here got certain limited numbers but i don't remember them ever saying as much that it was a pre-order bonus here it was time to begin executing my plans in the midst of the whole affair i could take umbrella's ultimate bio-organic weapon the tyrant, and join forces with an opposing corporation of Umbrella. To buy into that opposing corporation, I would need the actual combat data of the tyrant. I decided to have one of them play the Judas and draw them to the tyrant. That Judas was Barry. My only miscalculation was the high potential of Chris and Jill. But with the family man, Barry, playing the Judas, the scheme went as planned. 
I awaited the sample specimen that Barry would bring to me in the tyrant's room. Wesker. You did a fine job, Barry. Just as I thought. I injected the virus I obtained from Birkin in advance. If I made Umbrella believe I was dead, it made it far more convenient to sell myself to the opposing corporation. According to Birkin, the virus had profound effects. It would put my body in a state of temporary death. It would then bring me back to life with superhuman powers. Therefore, I unleashed an awesome tyrant from its slumber and let it attack me. Let's have a quick look. We've already touched upon the content of Wesker's report, but we've got a few things we can quickly talk about. So this is the first time that it confirmed Wesker was infected with a virus and provided by Birkin. So that was quite exciting. We didn't know that. And it still isn't actually revealed in an outside of Wesker's report. When is it first revealed that Wesker has a virus? Yeah, yeah it's just this. Is it just this? Yeah, it was this. We went from Code Veronica where his, he returns up and you go through the whole game and you're thinking, oh, eventually you're going to find out why, how he's back because you've got this thing with him and Chris and then nah, nothing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which is why part of that Code Veronica X scenes, you know, having those extra scenes was also a big deal. It can't be Umbrella Chronicles, can it, John? There must be some other material that's confirmed how he survived. Yeah, it was Umbrella Chronicles. That was the next time it was referenced. Wow, wow, mm-hmm. wow. So that is important then, isn't it? You know, you've you, got, you got to, to remember that's that whole... Yeah, it was that whole point of that game was a lot of tie-up of things that they hadn't managed to tie up, like Umbrella's downfall and Wesker. And... I think we now know that the, the virus Wesker was infected with is a T-virus variant of some sort. Yeah, any offshoot of the progenitor is rightly regarded as a T-virus. I think it's called prototype virus in Resident Evil 5, which caused a bit of confusion, but yeah, it's a variant T-virus. And of course, the, the DVD also showed, basically told us not only the infection, but also told us his plan and why he did it. It was the first mention of the rival company as well, and how he'd left Umbrella and defected over to that organisation. Working with Ada as well, which was new information. Yeah, because I must admit, when I first played Resident Evil 1, obviously pre-remake, I got the impression Wesker was just, you know, a typical rogue agent who left Umbrella and wanted to steal the tyrant just for money. There was nothing in there that he was going to defect over to a rival company, and obviously Wesker's report opened that up completely. Two months had passed since the mansion incident. To regain everything that I had lost in my new organization, I joined hands with Ada Wong, a female agent who was also sent to spy on Umbrella. I won't let anyone take the G-Virus away from me. G-Virus? I knew in my bones that the key developer was William Birkin. But what he didn't know was that Umbrella did not play games. With anyone. Eventually, Birkin would be assassinated, and the G-Virus would be in the hands of Umbrella. So, uh, John, am I right? Because the the Sherry storyline in Wesker's report one mentions that he that she's under his protection, but that was later changed. Yeah, a new version was written, which uh, mentioned elements from the remakes Zero and Remake. Um, it mentioned Spencer, it mentioned James Marcus, and it added an interesting plot point that Wesker wanted to save Birkin and bring him over to the rival company with the G virus, but Hunk's team got to him before he could. So that was completely missing in the original version, which I thought was cool. And then Wesker's report was re-released in 2006 for the 10th anniversary came out on dvd with trailers of resident evil 4 and 5 and devil may cry 4 as well and that version had the sherry line at the end removed ah. but then when they re-released it again with the hd remaster in 2014 that line with sherry was put back in there and i mean if you read that line literally you know it basically implies that 
you know, Sherry is is a prisoner of Wesker. But then they the cleared that up in the, the inside of Darkseid Chronicles guidebook where it said, no, she's still in the custody of the government, but Wesker's organisation has spies in the government. So if he needs access to her, he can get access to her. So that's how they sort of boxed that one off. Sherry is safe in our hands. I would never underestimate Birkin. There's something about this little girl. And the most important thing, of course, is the original Wesker's report had Gaiden effectively confirmed at the same time by mentioning, of course, that Leon and Barry join forces in an anti-umbrella organisation, which, of course, is exactly what we see in Gaiden. But you're going to destroy me, aren't you, though, John? Because you're going to say that was then subsequently removed. Well, it's interesting that that was written by Kato, who wrote the story for Gaiden. To be honest, I can't remember if that line was removed or not. I can't remember off the top of my head. I'll have to check. I think it was. I think it, yeah. I think it got taken out. <laughs> Much to my annoyance. In the morning, the government bombed Raccoon City in an attempt to stop further viral outbreak. This was, of course, their feigned reason. joined forces with an underground anti-umbrella organization. I think at the time when the um, when the canonicity of Gaiden was still very much up in the air, it was a very neat reference, to be honest. If Gaiden was to take its place in the canon, then Wesker's report is a, a beautiful lead into it because like Gaiden literally starts off with that passage of them being in an anti-umbrella uh, yeah. organization. So, you know, it works. It works well. There's a, there's a, there's a good sense of continuity there. One of my fond memories of Wesker's Report 1 was the uh, the re-release that came with the uh, remaster HD in Japan. For people who maybe um, haven't owned the Asian or Japanese version of the uh, remaster on PS3, it's actually in the, in like the extras menu. Um, you can watch uh, a new video version of Wesker's Report uh, 1 and there's like um, text screens of Wesker's Report 2. The Wesker's Report 1 update is notable because there was a complete fan meltdown because they've used Operation Raccoon City uh, FMV footage to oh, sort of, right. you know, boost and update the presentation of it, causing some people within the community to say that it now canonizes Operation Raccoon City, which is a, a hilarious time. Very fond uh, memory of that. As <laughs> a bold claim. The final point I'll make on the first Wesker's report is the definitive version with the most information is the first re-release, which came out in 2003. The transcript of that is in um, the second Resident Evil Archives book. So that's the definitive version in terms of law. So that's widely available to pretty much everyone. Ah, there we go. A top tip. July 31st, 1978. The first time I visited that place, it was the summer of my 18th year. That makes it about 20 years ago. As I got off the helicopter, I remembered the sight of the swirling wind the helicopter blades whipped into the air. When viewed from above, the old mansion seemed quite normal. But when seen from the ground, there was something foreboding and unapproachable about it. Bergen, my junior by two years, seemed as usual to be only concerned with the document he was holding. We were assigned to the mansion two days earlier, on the day that the executive training center we had belonged to was closed. It all seemed like it was planned 
too much of a coincidence. But probably the only person who knew the real truth was Spencer. Spencer was one of the main guys in charge of America's T-virus research at the Arkley Research Facility. As soon as we got off the helicopter, the head of the facility was standing in front of the elevator, ready to greet us. I can't even remember the guy's name. Who really cares about formalities and figureheads like him? From that day on, the Arkley Research Center was ours. As chief researchers, we were put completely in charge of all aspects of the facility. Hmm. Of course, that is just how Spencer had planned it all out. He chose us. With the release of Resident Evil Remake, we have Wesker's Report 2. A slightly different format, but one equally as compelling, I think everyone would agree. Wesker's Report 2 was background lore to the Arclay training facility in the Arclay Mountains, and all the lead-up to the events we see in Resident Evil 1. I don't know about you, but this was a fascinating read back in the day, and I just wondered what everyone thought. I mean, it splits it into, what, five different chapters or headings. We've got topics on creation of the zombies, the hunters, the tyrants, Lisa Trevor, the Alexia Ashford rivalry, the G-Virus. I mean, it, it did all sorts of things. Uh, the Nemesis Parasite, how can we forget that as well? All combining and just showing how conniving clever actually Wesker was it really helped emphasize that that kind of picture we see in uh, Resident Evil of him as a scientist you actually got a bit of an understanding didn't you about how he was actually you know a very clever man John we'll start with you again as, as a kind of law aficionado this is amazing at the time oh yeah without question it's the single best piece of supplemental material we've ever had I mean it's it's just absolutely brilliant the detail it goes into you know the connections it makes the weird thing about Wesker's report too is it's 20 odd years old and I've never been able to find out who actually wrote it. I don't know which writer is responsible for it but whoever it is I'd like to shake their hand because it's just absolutely brilliant. The content, you know, the things like the Nemesis Parasite and details about Lisa Trevor and all the T-virus variants, it just opened up the world completely and solidified so many storylines and subplots. It was just amazing and again, Sean mentioned how it was included with the PS3 version of the Resident Evil remaster, sorry, the Biohazard remaster master unfortunately it wasn't included in the western releases if it was for every playthrough i would have of the remake i would read it first you know if it was included on the disc because it is it's it's that good i just wish we'd had more reports of this standard really i can't mm. say enough about how great wesker's report 2 is I think it was also one of the first ones that really spoke about the creation of the T-virus as well, because I remember people just assumed it was a derivative of progenitor and Ebola, because they go into a lot of detail about the Ebola virus. Well, we only had very, very primitive translations, didn't we? Because it was first released on the um, Biohazard Remake website on a weekly basis, I think. The translations we had at the time were pretty poor and they brought up so many complications. Like, I remember people having debates about whether the mother virus and the progenitor virus were different things. You know, it made it sound like the, the tyrant was created in 1988 when it was supposed to be brand new in July 1998. And, oh, yeah, it caused a lot of debate at the time. Such I will, fun to discuss. I was going to say, I will caveat that with the idea that that was probably the first time I remember the English community really focusing on a translation that was made from a Japanese source that they were very invested in. Like Before then, like you could go to Japanese the Japanese websites for the series and 
there would be little bits of character bios and stuff and we'd get information through and obviously there'd be a lot of mistranslations and names would be incorrect and and so forth every now and again but this is the first time i remember that the there was an important piece of law that people latched onto because everyone loved that website like every week we'd get a new video and a new bit of content for the remake and then you'd get this Wesker's report and it was released over five weeks and and I remember the community going once they found out what it was they really did latch onto it as like oh this is like this story in this this is interesting um and hoping that there'd be an official translation eventually was it was exactly as you said John a lot of t- debate over a lot of the details and mistranslations or, or inconsistencies or unclarity in what it meant yeah good times good times <laughs> I remember having I, I remember very distinctive discussions with Zero and how Zero fitted in with Wesker's report too because that was always a bit problematic. Well, it fit in with that the error in dates and the localization of Zero when James Marcus the original GameCube version had James Marcus missing in 1978 rather than 1988 and that actually made sense because it that would tie in perfectly with why he's not mentioned in Wesker's report too at all. And when that subsequently turned out to be an error and and it was said no Marcus did this appear in 1988 that made us all stop and think well why is it why is he not mentioned in wesker's report too you know if it wasn't wasn't it that that was only the american release of zero where it said 20 years ago i think it was the very distinctly remember that the the pal version was corrected yeah the pal version was corrected and then it was uncorrected again wasn't it for the hd re-release i think oh was it (laughs) yeah because the hd re-releases english is based off the american translation version which still has the error in it and they didn't Ah. Ah, I didn't know, I didn't know that. They didn't notice. So it's gone back. But the, the correct one is supposed to be the one they corrected it to in the PAL version. But, I mean, the only possible in-universe canon reason why he's not mentioned is literally Wesker basically scrubbing any evidence of him from his diary, essentially, to credit himself and Birkin. But it's dated as if it's... Well, it's a confusing narrative because the first... Par- I always like it because the first paragraph is like, 18 years ago, blah, 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 but it's already dated in the 70s, as if this is a retro... It's it's the narrative function of it's a little bit iffy. <laughs> it's addressed to Ada Wong, I believe. It's meant to be like a summary of the T-Virus project he gives to Ada Wong when he joins the rival company. Oh, then it gives a go- another good reason for him to remove... Marcus's the evidence of Marcus out of there then as well then in that case because obviously he wants him and Birkin to look good. Stars Tarrant, what's your memories of Wesker's report? Duh. I loved it. Uh, at the time, it was just um, so enlightening and it, it was released weeks apart, wasn't it? And I just remember the excitement of like, mm. oh, you know, the new chapters out and you know and, uh, they were given names like Nemesis and Hunter and things like that and mm. and just yeah the uh, the aspects of the series lore that it enlightened again. Games weren't really doing a lot of that particularly in the West anyway, having all this supplement material. And although this has become a mainstay of the Resident Evil franchise now, it was still very, very new at the time to have this sort of rich... It made the series feel so much bigger than than just a series of video games that we were all enjoying. It felt like they were literally building the same kind of detailed worlds that, you know, you get the likes of you know tolkien creating for middle earth you know this was such a rich tapestry of information we were getting bestowed with it was remarkable i think i've still got the original flash files somewhere kicking around on a disc so i might have to unearth them because they were originally little flash files that you cycled through and the the text would sort of fade on the screen and it was pretty neat and you could just run them through any sort of um any browser so i might see if we can dig them up maybe chuck them on the website if we can well that's the the only problem with that is that flash is not supported anymore (laughs) 
Yeah, shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, damn, that's a good point, yeah, isn't it? So, yeah. Years later with Wesker's Report 2, the only thing that I sort of look back on it not quite so fondly is uh, I wish they'd uh, taken it into account more with Resident Evil 6 because there's always a passage that I'm reminded of when I play Resident Evil 6, which is Wesker musing, uh, and John, you'll be able to elaborate this a lot better for me. Uh, it muses over the fact that why would anyone want to start a family? He, he's referring to Birkin at the time. It, it gives the feeling that he's he's very detached from humanity and he, he doesn't really want any part of it. So the idea that at some point he, he hooked up with a lady... <laughs> and brought Jake into the world, always felt at odds with what Wesker's report to was trying to sort of depict Wesker as being. Absolutely, yeah. I remember that line. He says something like, how did Birkin have time to start a family when they were doing that kind of research, you know? And then, like you say, several years later, he uh, he has a child himself. Yeah, it is a bit jarring in that respect. Other times, I think the report's been as questioned um, was with Umbrella Chronicles, and the Sergei clones and how that tied into the Tyrant T001 and T002 and the experimentation that was going on at the Arclay lab. I think Umbrella Chronicles cleared that up in this regard because if you read Wesker's report too without knowing everything else that happens it does make it sound like the tyrants were created in 1988 whereas they actually created the virus that was capable of creating a tyrant in 1988 they just couldn't find any suitable hosts. And that's when, obviously, Sergei comes in and fixes that problem. It, it's not Sergei's clones that become tyrants. It's because he's got compatible DNA to become a tyrant host. They use his clones to create a new variant of T-virus that can create more tyrants. But obviously, because Wesker's Report 2 finishes in 1995, we don't learn that information. You have to sort of connect the dots together. It can be confusing, um, even now. And uh, another thing I remember with Wesker's Report 2 way, way back in the day, which I found confusing, is again, Remake makes it sound like the MA-121 Hunters are a brand new BOW. But then it talks about Birkin creating Hunter prototypes or the concept of the Hunter in the very early 1980s. As detailed as Wesker's Report 2 is, elements like that felt a little bit jarring because they didn't necessarily tally up with what the original game tells you, if that makes sense. It's only when you factor in other supplemental lore to fill in the missing pieces does it all make sense. But, you know, it it wouldn't surprise me if if someone read Wesker's Report 2, then played Remake and thought, well, hang on, how does this work? How does this work? You know, some elements are a bit muddled still. I always had those punters from Wesker's Report 2 as a as you said, the prototypes and the ones that you see in the X-Files of Resident Evil 2, the MA120. Yeah, which is fair enough, that works, but then why would it take another 15 years to create a successor to that prototype? What it means is it's it was the concept of the Hunter was sort of created in the early 1980s and they didn't necessarily have the technology or they didn't perfect it for another 15-odd years. Again, it's only when you study Wesker's Report 2 in really close detail that you, you realise there's many different variants of the T-virus. I mean, I think a lot of us assumed, and I, I was the same, you know, at one point I just thought there was just one T-virus. There was just basically one T-virus that did everything, you know, and then one G-virus and one T-abyss virus. You didn't really factor in that there was variants with minute differences of, of the same virus. You know, it's only when you look at the report in very close detail do you realise they're not just creating new monsters, they're creating new variants of the original Marcus prototype virus. Just to go back to the tyrant point, we never find out how adaptive 
the Sergei tyrant virus is because we know in Wesker's report too they say it's like one in what a hundred thousand one or I can't remember one million adapt but do we ever get the updated figure as to how how many people will turn to a tyrant when injected with Sergei T virus no it, it doesn't give us a figure I think the original figure was one in 10 million humans and when they fed that through simulation models they've discovered there would only be maybe 50 people in the whole of the United States alone that could become a tyrant so they were never going to find anyone but when Sergei came along I think the new variant they engineered from his blood pretty much turned anyone into a tyrant if they wanted to that answers the question I think as to why you know we seem to get so many tyrant like creatures people like Morpheus Duval it was a hell of a convenience that he was one in 10 million adaptable humans and likewise Jack Norman as well we're never given a figure but I think the the Sergei variant was very compatible with with a lot of people put it that way okay uh, any favorite chapters or scenarios or tidbits of information uh, that anyone found from Wesker's report too um, personally uh, the whole Lisa's Trevor storyline was brilliant and then bringing yeah. in the nemesis element as well was like oh okay they're, comb- they're combining lots of things here and then to suddenly create G I, th- I thought the whole story of Lisa was was exceptional and really gave gravitas to what you see in the game absolutely yeah that bit, I remember I remember finding that bit pretty jaw-dropping actually the first time you sort of read it and understand the the gravity of what this is sort of depicting very special i quite like the, the sections where it just explained that you know how wesker would go for walks in the woods and he would wonder about how the virus would react if it escaped and infected local woodland creatures and if spencer had placed the mansion there on purpose as if he was planning some major biohazard you know there's some of the more ambiguous elements that weren't necessarily followed up on were quite interesting i thought the other big thing about Wesker's report too and the website and everything is this is at a time where people were very hungry for information we kind of were talking about it before about how Wesker's report one kind of finally gave some answers or information about Wesker's survival and the virus much akin to the idea that we were getting very sparse levels of games and the remake was coming but it was still a remake so these sorts of information like whiskers report 2 really added on especially to the online community and, and as john kind of also alluded to stuff to kind of bite down on and be very interested and in, have these discussions and debates and open up questions about what was going to happen because obviously if they were going to remake the first game did that mean they were adding more lore and information in that was going to retroactively provide us more content about where the idea of where the franchise might be going and and that sort of stuff and unfortunately it was one of those things where a lot of those answers ended up not happening for a long time because obviously the direction that four went and as you kind of also alluded to the answers ended up being mostly in umbrella chronicles because that's where basically they tried to tie up a lot of these loose what had become loose ends after four had come out but for a good number of years those sorts of things between kind of 2002 and to that 2001 2002 and 2005 they were kept the community going in a lot of ways and the artwork was very cool as well okay that finishes our discussion on wesker's report 2 we now move on to what could be called wesker's report 3 or wesker's extra report an interesting incident bizarre murder cases have recently occurred in a remote village in the caucasus region of russia the villagers there are making noise that uh legendary monster Omus has been revived. The disastrous scene easily reminds me of the first bizarre incidents in Raccoon Forest. There's an old chemical plant three kilometers from the village that was built during the Soviet Union era. And according to the investigation, the property rights have now transferred to a prestigious European noble family. 
It seems foreign capital was invested five years ago, and a large-scale underground development was conducted. According to geological surveys, there's a solid bedrock that is perfect to construct a certain kind of facility on. It seems the crosswords somehow been solved. Wesker's extra report came bundled as part of Biohazard, the Umbrella Chronicles. It was good. It didn't get a wide release, and it kind of covered all the storyline up to Umbrella Chronicles from Wesker's point of view in his kind of hunt to acquire all the viruses, acquire all the information and locate the the Red Queen after he failed to obtain all the relevant data from the Arclay Mountains. It's not as good as Wesker's Report 1 and 2, but it does have some useful tidbits, such as semi-confirming Resident Evil Dead Aim as a, a canon title. Not that it should be up for debate, but... You know, people of that age, when they were around the internet, when Dead Aim came out, there was a lot of calls to say, is this canon or not? And I think Wesker's Exeter report helped the situa- soften the situation on that. John, did you want to quickly explain why, and then what else Wesker's Exeter report brought to the table? Umbrella has boldly survived for the five years since Raccoon's annihilation. Held responsible for the virus leak, and in spite of a plunge in their stock prices... They campaigned at the trial. It was all a U.S. government conspiracy and succeeded in buying time until the final death sentence. It was fortunate for Umbrella that they had colluded with the government from the very beginning. Naturally, the nation has secrets just like anyone else if you clear the dust and their survival tactics were to stir up public doubt by selling them pieces to the court and the media. That which is called madness exists in varying degrees and lurks even in people, organizations, and nations. However, Umbrella was the most mad in that incident. Again, unfortunately, it's another translation error because Wesker's extra report, again, was only available in Japanese. It wasn't officially localized until 2002. 10 was it when Resident Evil Archives 2 came out that was the first time it was officially translated into English and it it misses out that line completely the Japanese says there are reports that Umbrella has been working behind the scenes to set up and produce biological weapons and that ships are in operation to transport them which is obviously an allusion to dead aim and I suppose by extension revelations as well whereas in the localized English version it simply says I have traced these supply lines to Umbrella which has reorganized itself behind the scenes so the reference to ships is completely missing from the uh, official English version but in terms of the overall report a bit disappointing because obviously when you compare it to the likes of Wesker's report too you know it was packaged with the Umbrella Chronicles special edition and I was expecting you know tons of detail I was expecting an updated version of Wesker's report too which would cover the events of Code Veronica and beyond and most of it unfortunately turned out to be uh, like a basic summary didn't it and Wesker's extra report was only like a page at the end and it basically just explains that it learned that the chemical plant was the rights had transferred to a rich aristocrat which was obviously alluding to Spencer and that he'd worked out it was a umbrella secret base and that there'd been further working on the T-virus and he planned to steal it and there was a little reference to prelude to the fall mentioned in the village coming under attack and that all the villages had believed that some legendary cryptid had been resurrected to kill them all. The foolish umbrella is showing signs of a revival. BOWs are beginning to go rampant in conflict regions. The 
POWs are being supplied as weapons. Umbrella has organized itself under the surface and established a system to produce bioorganic weapons, and information has come in that they operate ships for transportation. It's time. They fidget with a T-virus, create mutant organisms, and sell them. Even if a certain amount of results were to appear, their imagination, which merely trifles with the virus as a medium for bioorganic weapons manufacture, will give themselves away again someday. The Philosopher's Stone belongs in the hands of a truly worthy alchemist. Those who meant should withdraw in silence. Without a doubt, here will become the place of Umbrella's demise. So for people who don't know, Prelude to the Fall is the canon manga that was released as part of Umbrella Chronicles. It's a prequel, if you like, to Umbrella's End slash Dark Legacy and shows Chris and Jill countering Wesker and the Hunter Delta model, which uh, is always criminally overlooked when people com- compiling the lists of all the hunters. So that's worth checking out. You should be able, there's plenty of versions available of that, I think, um, all translated on online. It, yeah, I think you're right. It, it was an opportunity to um, do a bit more than perhaps just do a, um, do the summary that we thought. And as I said, there could have been a bit more information about Code Veronica especially, and his ties to um, the rival organisation and NHCF as well, because that still remains a mystery to this day. Yeah, it does. And that would have been a... A perfect opportunity to elaborate on on what was going on there, really. So, yeah, Wesker's extra report for me remains a bit of a missed opportunity. Especially as well, because Resident Evil 5 was being made at that point in time, so they knew they were abandoning the the rival organisation storyline as well. They could have been that real opportunity just to, you know, put a bow on it and go, right, HCF was the same company or whatever they wanted to do, but they never did it. But then the report, canonically, it's set in 2003, which is obviously pre-Resident Evil 4 when he's still with the rival company. Ah, yes, so, you know, difficult in that respect. I do in- enjoy the uh, the appetite to get Dead Aim canon, though, because, the, you know, the link, it does have to be said, <laughs> it does have to be said that the link is tenuous at best. You know, it's just one line that mentions <laughs> ships. Ships. It'll do, it'll do. The ship. <laughs> but, you know, as, as someone who, you know, thoroughly enjoys Dead Aim, I do like that there are those in the fandom who, who just grab whatever they can <laughs> to, to make it work. So, yeah, tip my hat. Taking a slight detour, though, is that one of the only Dead Aim references beyond Dead Aim that's ever been made in the in... Dark Side Chronicles timeline in the catation show or something yeah the dark side chronicles art book the timeline in oh. there references dead aim that's the only time in the well that's the only piece of material outside the game itself where dead aim is referenced yeah shocking it's terrible poor old dead aim we'll be celebrating that on the podcast don't you worry folks don't but then asking the question is it still canon <laughs> <laughs> that does finish our chat on wesker's extra report so we're now moving into slightly different territory our encounters with the sunglasses villain is over for the time being next up is jessica's report which we mentioned in the news there is a lovely brand spanking new translation of that report on our website so feel free to go and check that out jessica sharawat of course, is a very interesting character in Resident Evil Revelations, which is by far the most complicated storyline in any Resident Evil game to date. Anyone who's played the game will know that it is all over the place in where things are happening, who's doing what, who's backstabbing who, and quite frankly, why they're doing it. So this report 
is quite important. This diary, this interview, however you want to call it, is quite important because it does shed a bit of light on at least Jessica's intentions and motivations in regards to what she sees in Revelation. So, John, uh, so we'll, we'll <laughs> keep going back to you first. So, did you find this one uh, particularly helpful? Because you've done obviously quite uh, good breakdowns of the revelation storyline uh, for us before so uh, this must have aided you in that uh, narrative yeah i think this one's quite useful it doesn't really contain many huge revelations that you desperately need to know to understand the game but it serves as a good introduction it gives you a nice summary of what happens in terra grigia the interview between the global pharmaceutical consortium officer and jessica is a good way to introduce all the characters that are going to be in the game and then it gives you a nice little summary of the proper is the T-Abyss virus at the end with a little bit about you know what's happened to Umbrella and some of the creatures you're going to encounter. There's a little bit of extra background on Veltro and Jack Norman, which you can't find in the game, basically explaining that Veltro used to be essentially um, a student movement that became radicalised and that Jack Norman's body was never found and he became a bit of a martyr because his manifesto and speeches were widely shared on video sharing websites. People have speculated as well that the person interviewing Jessica is Excella Gioni from Tricell. I wouldn't say that's confirmed because she's never named. The clues are Jessica uploads the report to Tricell and when the interview part starts the music that plays in the background is the same music as the scene in resident evil 5 when excella and wesker are first introduced so that's the clue that it's um, potentially excella who's interviewing her but she's just described as an officer or an auditor in the actual report itself but yeah little little bits of information about morgan lansdale the fbc why raymond vester's such a bastard and obviously explaining the differences between the T-Virus and the T-Abyss and nice information about the ooze and Skag Dead and Sea Creeper. So, yeah, well worth a read. They don't like Parker much. Jessica <laughs> describes him as a bit of an idiot. And yeah, poor Parker. seems to conquer, yeah. <laughs> I think this is you know, where we start to see these things as... I don't, it's not that it doesn't add elements of information because that would be a silly thing, but it's it's not so external lore that's far-reaching beyond the title that you're going into, and it's, it's like the same with the previous extra report from Wesker. It's, it's more to provide information and back back information, backstory for what you're playing or have played or about to play when it comes to these sorts of things, I think. And, and that's a, that it kind of goes back to our original thing, which is a bit of a... It's not that it's bad. or Anything extra is great, but it's it's a shame that we don't have a lot more of these sorts of things that kind of expand more of the general universe as well as doing this at the same time a lot more and especially in english but still good to have it translated obviously thanks john absolutely would you say though john that because i mean revelations itself is quite a complicated game and i don't want to say it's, it's not the best in terms of translation generally and kind of localization adding this helps i'm not as anal about translations as i used to be many many years ago but it, it is difficult to defend the uh, the localization of revelations the files are all over the place you know it describes morgan lansdale as some sort of wildlife greenpeace advocate rather than national biological defense director it, it describes him as being head of a wildlife protection agency it's just you know it's unforgivable some of the uh, the mistakes in this game in particular considering this is the game that had the misspelt box art spine that's perhaps not surprising yeah and i think maybe capcom <laughs> realized this because uh, i think it was after revelations really that 
the the overall quality of the translations and localizations proved a lot. Revelations one is certainly the the last game I remember that was particularly bad. It's funny both uh, both both Revelations games come under quite heavy scrutiny for their localizations, though, don't they? Yeah, I think Revelations two was more it it sort of steered away from the the Kafka references in the files. And that was the first game where they wrote two separate scripts, which then they obviously differed quite a lot. Whereas Revelations one, it was more basic mistranslations. You know that just confused the hell out of everyone. Um, I think you're planning on doing a kind of Revelations law document for the website as well, which will include Jessica's report. So I think there'll be a lot more information that we can present on the website in the future just to help fill in some of those gaps with all the additional information as well. Yeah, after Resident Evil 5, Capcom started to dial back on this kind of content until Village, ironically, with the Baker Report. You know, the likes of Resident Evil 6 and Revelations 2, and those games had very, very little supplemental material compared to what came before. Thanks, John. Uh, always, always helpful. And again, uh, feel free to check that out on the website. We're just going to do a quick swizzle back to Resident Evil 4. I wanted to quickly touch upon it because it, it did raise a lot of discussion points at the time. Oh my God, did it. Ada's report, if you want mm. to call them that. So talking about separate ways, the much-loved add-on and extra to Resident Evil 4, something that... Um, I think everyone agrees was very much needed. At the end of every chapter, you got a little narrated part from Ada Wong telling us information about uh, Lewis, uh, the Los Illuminados, Leon's involvement, and then ultimately Wesker's uh, involvement and her plans with regards to the subordinate and dominant Plaga. It wasn't easy, but I'd say the mission was a success. Getting my hands on the sample was my initial objective, after all. But... I've sent Wesker a different present, just as the organization ordered. Pretending to work with him was entertaining. Albert Wesker. I wonder where he's headed next. Something tells me this whole affair has just been a taste of what he's got in store. To him, Umbrella represented power. He used it to hide behind while he made plans of his own. And now the umbrella's been folded. What it did raise at the time, Resident Evil 4 felt, and to an extent still feels quite disjointed to the, the mainline series. And people who were around at the time, I mean, this this release was, you know, so different from the previous games. No umbrella, no virus, no zombies. And, you know, the, the GameCube, the vanilla release of 4, was, was very disjointed to the world that we knew. And separate ways kind of came in and saved the day, I think. And so the reports element were really useful in fleshing out certainly the rival organization but again i'll go back to john as well to start i wanted to talk about the fabled third organization a term that is still floated around the internet um, and how that came about and who ada was working for at the time well the third organization is the rival company it's called the third organization in resident evil 4 because of the constant references mendez makes to a third party outside of the los illuminados and the u.s government being involved i personally refer to wesker's employees as the rival company because that's the easiest way to distinguish them you know if you just call them the organization or the third organization it just creates unnecessary complications i think but yeah there's, in- there's questions wasn't there weather because we, we always had ada's organization as the organization then there was the third organization what was it just being taken to face value then in literal value that it was the third organization or should it you know there was there was very much a distinction at the time that they were 
separate. Yeah, and uh, Archives 2 didn't help that because the material in there clarified that Ada sent the Plaga to, you know, who she was really working for, and that suggested like it was a completely different organisation, whereas I think we've more or less worked out now that it's all the same organisation, there's just different people vying for control. Obviously, Wesker was wanting to take control of the organisation, and certain people he was working with didn't want that to happen, and Ada was caught in the middle, and that, that's the whole loyalty test she keeps referencing throughout the game. It, she has to prove her loyalty to the, to the organisation by betraying Wesker, who she's obviously worked with for several years, and that, that was finally cleared up in the report about Ada that was released in the Biohazard 4 Kaita Shinsho guide, because that's the only piece of material that really goes into Wesker and Ada and the rival company in, in any great detail. And you can read that on the website, that's available as a, in the Biohazard 4 lore document. Yeah, on the features page. And I think there is a, a mention in the Resident Evil 6 graphical guidebook as well, which was translated into English. That basically said Ada was ordered by the organisation to betray Wesker, essentially. So that sort of solidified that theory. With the sanctuary of their old umbrella ruined, those in power struggled to erect a new one. They are aware of their own crookedness and deceit as they engage in their personal war of light and darkness. That's why Wesker will stop at nothing in opening his new umbrella. If we all cast our minds back, we'll go to Star's Tyrant. I mean, separate ways and those reports were very, as a very much needed at the time. Absolutely, it saved the game. You know, Resident Evil 4 is such a, a much maligned entry into the series. So many of us were disappointed by what that game did. And although Wesker's, uh, Ada's report, sorry, is but a band-aid, you know, it was obviously entries that came much later that really sort of locked down RE4. You know, like Resident Evil 5 was able to effectively enhance Resident Evil 4 more than it did. And Ada's report's very good. I just, uh, I wonder in the remake if they'll uh, sort out the giant pharmaceutical S reference, which, ah, yes. uh, which at the time we obviously, well, no, retrospectively, we look back and think S must have stood for Seashell, which was the like proto name for what ultimately became Tricell. Seashell, for people who aren't aware, was used in the Kijuju website that they used to promote Resident Evil 4, the sort of the viral website which had the live action videos and and uh, it was it was like a flash website that you used to explore and uh, on the front page there was a candle um, that you used with the mouse, you used to sort of wave the candle up, and it used right. to be a wall of graffiti. And one of the entries, you know, it'd say things like, you know, Sheva knew and, you know, do, don't trust Wesker or whatever. And um, one of the entries is something like a seashell. Oh, God, what did it say? Seashell is evil, I think. Seashell is evil, yeah, which, uh, which we sort of now understand the S, giant pharmaceutical company S, meant seashell, which became Tricell. I don't think that's ever, ever been confirmed. I mean, seashell is Tricell, yes. But I don't think it's, and please correct me if I'm wrong, John, I don't think there's been any piece of material that ever says S is seashell. Oh, no, no, it was pure speculation, yeah. It's it's as good as being canon, it may as well be, but I'm not sure it's ever been officially immortalised. I would say the seashell name was created after the S reference, though. But yeah, I, I would imagine that'll get fixed for a remake if, if they decide to include it as report at all, which, given on past form, they probably won't. The giant pharmaceutical corporation S maintains medical and drug facilities the world over. We know for certain that Wesker has been in contact with them following Umbrella's demise. There's no doubt we'll next hear from him there. The organization must remain vigilant. 
Wesker's not stupid. He knows exactly what the organization is thinking. He and I still have time to continue our little game of cat and mouse before the next move is played. This mission may be over, but the battle is just beginning. Well, what I remember about it as I was going through was the way that it doles out the information is quite good. Because obviously each report information kind of expands upon stuff in the game to the point where you get this information right at the end, which starts to reveal the bigger goings on. So when you get the first report, I think it's about Salazar and it's about the Las Plagas and it starts to answer some of those questions. And I think then you get some answers about Luis's background and what his connections were that were left vague in the original story. And so each one kind of starts to compound more information out. And I thought it was very well structured at the time. That's what I remember the most about. About it um when i first played through it was just like okay so this is starting to give me answers that i was wanting and then it's like oh okay it's giving me more and then eventually you come to this whole big builds to what information you get by the end which i thought was a really good setup what i do chuckle about is the fact that you know ad goes through all this mission you know to portray and he's, she's like oh i'm gonna send Wesker a different sample, I'll send the organisation the prime sample, and then Wesker's like oh, I'll, I'll just take it from Krause's body <laughs> you know, it's his classic <laughs> modus operandi, he, he's done it to Steve <laughs> um, and yeah, I'll just take it from Krauser, there we go uh, so it's ultimately pointless <laughs> Good point that, Nick, actually, you've just mentioned, because the English version doesn't sort of specify how her parcel to Wesker is different, because the English version kind of omits the... Oh, that's oh, true. Oh my god, the terminology, what is it? What are they called? Subordinate and dominant. Subordinate and dominant, yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the English version sort of omits those details. I think it was five, wasn't it, that said Wesker got the sample from Krauser's body. Yeah, and the localization of Ada's report as well also adds the infamous line of how she, she knows about Krauser's arm. Oh, and, yeah. and can deal with him, which is just complete gibberish because that, that line just doesn't exist in the original. The amount of forum space that was yeah. taken up by that comment. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, because it was, it was an indicator of perhaps that she knew he was infected or something, you know. And then it didn't help with Dark Side Chronicles as well because that's how he was then injured on his arm. Well, yeah, because the way it's written is she, she says that line about his arm and then later speculates that he's maybe infected with the Plaga, so that incorrectly implies that he's potentially infected with something else and I remember at the time everyone saying oh well he works for Wesker so perhaps Wesker's gave him a version of his own virus and that's why he can move at super speed and jump 20 feet in the air and backwards somersault onto that gantry and yeah maybe Darkseid Chronicles will explain it all and, and no it's just the plaga. Parts of his arm have the green texture of the sort of it looks a bit, little bit like Alexia's mutated form maybe it's T. Veronica. Yeah. 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 I recall them. Um, so again, it makes me wonder what the what the localization teams are doing here to just add something like that. It's like, oh, this particular line's maybe a bit too complex to translate. I don't really know what it means. Let's just oh, Krauser's arm mutates. Let's just let's just put that in there. I don't know. It's it's bizarre. These additions that they sometimes make are more puzzling to me than the actual mistranslations. It's it's weird. All right. Well, I think. Where we're at now is something that obviously Rob just alluded to is that post Wesker's report two we started to get very small supplements as opposed to large larger scale additions. That all changed with the release of the Baker Report for Resident Evil Village. So this is the most up-to-date, the newest supplement for the law. I mean, we won't talk about how ridiculous that it is uh, stuck behind a paywall, but it is something I would recommend everyone reads. It's definitely online now. Um, in fact, it, I think it was online as, as very, very, very quickly uh, as soon as it um, was released. 
This is a good report. This is a beefy document that really adds a lot to the connections between uh, Resident Evil 7 and uh, Resident Evil 8. Um, so particular highlights including the uh, Brandon Bailey saving the saving the law once again. Or did he? <laughs> we'll have a quick chat about that. Also the role of the connections, the structure of them uh, as a kind of criminal syndicate slash enterprise. But also I think from a more personal level what Zoe's up to and um, her role post um, End of Zoe DLC from 7. But it's still a great read and I think we'll start with Sean this time because um, I think you were very happy and I think we kept saying page 40 two was it 42 of the report Something like that, yeah. <laughs> 41, 42. yeah so the story of it goes um won't go into many details but obviously we, we were able to uh um, get access to village very kindly part of the package was the trauma pack so i would think i was the first to get it downloaded across the guys and uh i thought you know i'm gonna give this this baker report thing this is interesting i started reading it and thinking oh my Fucking hell! This is like this was like in a, in in the current era, the Wesker's report too. You know, this was this this felt every bit as important. It was clearing up backstory, and I was just sort of clicking along and thinking, "Oh, this is this is really excellent." And you get to the infamous page forty-one, forty-two, which is uh, the leader of the connections, Brandon Bailey, and I remember going, oh. and of course, I didn't want to spoil it. I didn't want to spoil it with uh, you know the other guys, so I just was sort of saying, "You know, guys, have you read the Baker report yet?" You know, I. I really recommend you do that before starting the game. Get to page 41 as quick as you can. And then gradually, as the sort of day went on and, you know, people were getting home from work and able to to get the village download going and everything, sequentially, the guys were checking this reference. And we were all trying to not spoil it for each other. I think Nick was maybe the first. <laughs> you were the first to get get to it after me. And it was just like, you know, you just get the message on your phone flash up saying, fucking hell. <laughs> it, was just, it, was, it was a fun time. Uh, and then uh, John saw it and was equally excited and Rob got there because I think you were on some horrible New Zealand times and things. The excitement of the report was was definitely palpable and we were sort of in this crazy elation of what this file meant for sort of clearing up aspects of the series. And John being John, Batman being Batman, the more he scrutinised it, the more he looked into details and how it actually worked with regards to the rest of the series started to erode that excitement <laughs> when, when you when you realize it doesn't really work and you've kind of got to do some mental gymnastics to get around the fact that brandon bailey is this crestfallen researcher in an african lab turned mastermind bond. crime syndicate bond super overnight and it's <laughs> I'll let I'll let you guys carry on, but yeah, I mean, it, it it sort of went from the most exciting, most like, oh my god, I can't wait for the fandom to see this. It's going to be the biggest thing that's that's happened in absolutely years. To slowly just being reined in, it's a bit shit. <laughs> and no, it's not. It's brilliant, but then it's not brilliant because the points you're making make total sense. So yeah, it, it's, it's been a ride with the Baker report, certainly. Yeah, thanks, Batman. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry did you, about that. Did you want to explain why the Debbie the, Downer? Yeah, <laughs> why Brandon Bailey being the criminal mastermind doesn't quite work. I mean, it doesn't not work, but it doesn't quite work with Resident Evil Five. No, it it doesn't. 
not work but it's yeah it doesn't really gel with what we're told about the character in resident evil 5 you know he's a he's an embittered old man he doesn't really care about what's happened to umbrella since james marcus was killed because marcus was his mentor he was the person he looked up to so he doesn't really give a shit about anything and and when he leaves umbrella in late 1998 he's described as an elderly old man who doesn't really have any feelings left about anything and then obviously we learn that he was later killed by Spencer to preserve the secret of the African lab. So when you're setting up the connections as, as potentially the next major villain, actually the first recurring villain we've had for a while, because they were in Resident Evil 7 as well, it sort of takes something away from them already when we know their founder is dead and gone, unless Capcom decide to retcon that, which yeah. is entirely possible. But again, why cause that headache for themselves? It just felt like Brandon Bailey was just a name that plucked out. They were like, right, we need a connection here. Let's quickly go through some files, see what we can find. And it just felt like it was, you know, I love these types of connections. Don't get me wrong. I had the exact reaction Sean described when I first read it, but I just think on this particular occasion, and very much like Spencer's involvement in Village as well, I don't think they thought about it closely enough. They could easily say he wasn't killed, but he's going to be still quite old if he's still going to be present in Resident Evil 9 or whatever comes next. If he was elderly in, what, 1998, he's going to be very elderly <laughs> come 2022 or something. Yeah, and if they're going to retcon it, it makes you wonder, well, well, what's the point really? You know, why not just have establish a new character? It's nice to have the links, but some Sometimes they just don't fully work, and I think this is a, a good example of that. But in, in terms of the overall report, I mean, bravo Capcom for finally including it in the game. I think these types of reports should be an unlockable. You know, there should be some sort of incentive for completing the game on the hardest difficulty. A bit like, was it Separate Ways, Ages Report? That only became fully available, didn't it, when you completed it? You know, I, I wish they would do stuff like this more often. You know, have it in the game so we've got all the information to start with. And, and I like the way the report was presented as well. It was like Zoe Baker's investigation and it was made up of like newspaper clippings she'd gathered together and interview excerpts and you know things like that and it was really well presented and um, was 90 pages or whatever it was it was um, it was a really welcome addition that I don't really think anyone was expecting in the build up to the game no and on a positive as I said on the positive side the inclusion of Zoe I think was really nice because you only really I mean I worked out about I don't know 20 odd pages in I was like I think this is Zoe but you, you only work it out it only tells you at the end doesn't it when they're kind of like when she's like writing to um, Ethan. No, she's writing to Mia, isn't she? No, right to me. So yeah, yeah, she's writing yeah. to me about the yeah about the baby and things like that. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Just weird how there's no mention of Umbrella in it at all. I know we asked Anthony Johnson and he was like, oh well, I just wanted to focus on the BSAA for my story, but I'm not sure if I fully agree with that. There's there's got to be more to it than that as to why Umbrella are just completely omitted from this whole thing. Blue Umbrella. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Blue Umbrella. Yeah, and. Um, Going briefly back to Brandon Bailey, I was thinking about this the other day. One aspect where it does work is potentially how the connections made contact with Miranda in the first place. Because, you know, if you play the game, this village is very isolated. Obviously, nobody knows about the mold. And Miranda obviously keeps herself to herself. She's not well known. And then all of a sudden, she just mentions, oh, I was approached by an organization who asked me what I was doing. So I gave them some samples of the mold. And I always thought, well, how the hell do people know about her? And how do they know about the mold? And I suppose in that respect, Brandon Bailey makes sense because he was close to Spencer back in the 1960s. So it's entirely possible that, you know, Spencer confided in the likes of Edward Ashford and James Marcus and Brandon Bailey about Miranda and about the mould. You know, Bailey, when he was planning this this crime syndicate, was potentially thinking, you know, the first thing I'm going to do when I get away from Umbrella is contact this Miranda. You know, that's one aspect where the whole Brandon Bailey leader of the connections thing does make sense. 
Because it just seems far too coincidental for her to just randomly be approached by any old organisation. Yes, yes. Rob, what were your thoughts on the Baker Report? Uh, I mean, you guys have mostly covered everything I would have said, but, uh, you know, I, I think I went through the same interest and shock level, and then when John especially, but it wasn't just John. I, I, we make it sound like he's the real bad guy <laughs> for shooting down our hopes and dreams, but it wasn't just him. Like, the more you actually dig into it and anyone can do it, you kind of go, oh, I'm not sure about what this is going but as a concept and you know to have 80 pages or whatever it is of um new information and connecting more of the world and helping connect the stories of seven and eight even more so yeah it, it was good uh, and i enjoyed it and um it is hard when it takes a little bit of the tarnish off and i'm sure they'll create some sort of explanation down the track as to how it works um like they have with some of the other things that we've talked about in this episode but we'll just have to wait and see what they are and i'm with john as well on the lack of blue umbrella you know was a little bit surprising you know even with the focus on the bsa and the main plot it's surprising that it doesn't get at least even one name check at some point when obviously this is her doing research into all the background of this sort of stuff so it does need absolutely calling out though that this is you know, we've we've talked through some various reports released across the years, and the Baker report stands out in that this is the first one in many, many years, which I believe you said, Nick. It is appalling. It has to be said, appalling that it's locked behind DLC. You know, it should absolutely be either an unlockable or just available. You know, I want to see every Resident Evil game contain this kind of law-based content, but never again behind a paywall. I don't really know what they were thinking with this one. And and it is important, despite its, you know, flaws, which we've alluded to, it's still an important document which helps explain, you know, you get plenty of great material, not just the Brandon Bailey thing, just mm. the fact that you've got a return appearance from, from Zoe. You get, like... Chris's actions within the BSAA and the sort of what's going on with his Wolfpack team and 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 things like oh how Wolf how Wolf I forget the name I'm so tired sorry Foxhound Foxy Foxhound <laughs> yeah absolutely special agent you can Foxy yeah but yeah sorry. Capcom don't Thanks. don't put it behind a, a paywall again just absolutely not the thing is they would have known I mean you know the RE wiki alone is absolutely ginormous they would have known as soon as it came out it would have been online you don't yeah, get much yeah. more from the the, the paid version compared to just reading it online I mean you know apart from some nice pictures you knew it was going to be on YouTube so I, I'm just not quite sure what they thought were they just bulking up the trauma pack you know just as oh we get this as well and it's like you know it, it wouldn't have stayed exclusive they knew that Capcom would have known that so before we finish what I wanted to do was have a quick summary discussion of all these law documents really and just the future the future as well Do are, are we expecting now with the Baker report that this is going to become more of a common occurrence do we expect Resident Evil 9 to have something like this if so what format how much feedback do you think they take from having an expansive law add-on like this I would hope it's something they would continue but I, I honestly, given that it's only happens occasionally, if it doesn't happen again for a while, I wouldn't be surprised. It would be nice, as Sean just said about the last one, you know, like all the stuff that's in there, it's really good to have and it's and it's nice to have it there. And um, so anytime they can add, the, you know, this sort of thing, it's worthwhile. I mean, and it, it goes also with like the timeline that appeared in Resident Evil 5, like that sort of stuff also helps, you know, like just stuff that kind of ties the entire franchise together. And if people have missed some games or missed some background or want information, you know, it, sometimes it's good to have these as well as little mini recaps. And so, yeah, I'd like to see more of them. Whether or not it will turn up in the next one and what form that takes, who knows. I like them in-game, to be fair, rather than a bonus disc or a online thing 
to be fair as well, or a book, because can't be chooses either, so if something turns up, we're always happy to see it. Yeah, I would agree with that completely. You could never have too much lore, and especially with the, the series being so big now and so convoluted, I don't think it does any harm at all to present each new game with a you know with a basic summary of what's come before and, and elaborate with a few new details as well. You know, if, if Resident Evil 9 is going to be the, the rumoured conclusion of the, the Mold trilogy, then, you know, hopefully there'll be some sort of summary of, of Seven and Village, possibly from the perspective of someone in Blue Umbrella or, or the BSAA that we can read and enjoy or watch and enjoy before we go into the events of the game. All these reports, they add so much. It, I just wish, I said this on our Discord the other day, I just wish, you know, with it being the 25th anniversary, if Capcom would just release something, you know, some sort of summary of the series and, and fill in all these little gaps and connect everything together. I know we talked about rights issues Issues and, and CVX Freak and elaborated on potentially why characters from certain games can't be used in the films, etc. But there's so much scope for Capcom to really connect the dots. I mentioned some examples on Discord again. Why can't the Mad Dogs unit be the ambiguous US Special Forces team that Sheva Alomar helped to arrest this Umbrella official in her backstory for Resident Evil 5? You know, why can't we confirm Derek Simmons as the person Birkin was in contact with from the US military? You know, why can't Colonel Wilson, who's working for Tricell be the one who introduces Morgan Lansdale to Tricell to further the T-Abyss research. I don't think it would take a lot of effort for Capcom to release some sort of online law document that could connect all these dots. You know, we're never going to get a Resident Evil Archives 3, so just something to, to really you know connect all the series together i just wish they would do something like that we shall hope we shall pray but um i think that has been that's been great and i think that's been a nice celebration of 20 years of wesker's report dvd and and the start of supplemental material uh, long may it continue that does conclude our discussion as we now turn to the final part of the podcast it's this week's edition of neptune's biohazard quiz 25 years of resident evil 10 years of the Resident Evil podcast. Expert knowledge is needed in what we call the quiz. This is my only opportunity for a point this week. Uh, I'd just like to announce everybody that uh, this is zero points for me this week. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. We've talked about the games straying too far from the origins. This Resident Evil quiz. We're now getting Spice Girls as the correct answer. I mean, it's time to quit. Welcome to Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. Jesus what? <laughs> question is that?
So hello one and all and welcome to Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. We have five questions, so if everyone can clear their desktops, here we go. Um, if I could just interrupt you there, Nick. Um, I think it's about time you had a go at one of these. So I'm oh, going right. to take up as Quizmaster, if you don't mind. Oh, you savages. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I will say... It's not a good time for Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. These questions are not taxing, okay? Are you you're sure? Not gonna, you're not going to have to rely on any sort of vague law references or obscure materials. These are five solid questions that any Resident Evil fan worth the salt should get. Oh, don't say things like that, John. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm opening up Notepad. Batman's Biohazard Quiz. Question one. How many vague Resident Evil references are there in Friends Series 2, Episode 6? Oh, sorry, sorry. That, uh, that's from Nick's box of questions. We'll just throw that out. Sorry, I opened the wrong box. That's I was about my, to say, what? That's my little comedy joke for tonight. Right. Question one. In Village, what are Moreau's two favourite pastimes? Uh, sorry, it's, your, it's your accent, John. I, I... <laughs> what are Moreau's? Oh, Moreau's. Oh, sorry. Moreau's. Okay. What? I thought you said Rose. What are Armour? I was going Armour Rose. Moreau's. Sorry, that's my, my common northern accent. It, it, apologies. I cannot have your posh accent, Nick. No. <laughs> Say Castle, Nick. Castle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, question two. In Resident Evil 5, Tricell are descended from a famous family of shipping merchants. What is the name of that family? John, John, John. That's good. Question number three. You should all get this if you've done your homework for tonight. How old was Albert Wesker when he was appointed chief researcher at the Arkley Mansion? And question four. What is the name of the researcher in the original game who monitors Plant 42? Shit. That's all right, John. That's the question you asked me on our night out. Is it? Yeah. In the middle of uh, in the middle of the slug and lettuce, I think it was. I was very, very, very appropriate. Very, very, very pissed. We did an on-the-fly quiz, if you remember. I don't. Remember. <laughs> and that was, and that was, yeah, we all asked each other a couple of questions, and that was your what, that was your one to me. Got a name, but there's there's quite a few researchers in the original game, and I get them mixed up as to who did what. Finally, in Resident Evil Two, the original, what is the name of the old man who plays chess with the RPD's night watchman? Oh, just need a first name for that one. First name. Are they those five questions? Oh yeah, they are their five questions. Join us after this when I'll reveal the answers. Sorry, <laughs> I haven't got the same panache as you, Nick. Seven years ago, Birkin noticed a little bit of this effect in the female test subject. There wasn't the slightest change in her appearance, but deep within her, something was constantly changing and she continued to coexist with the virus used in the experiments. And so, after 21 years of inner mutations, even the parasite nemesis just became one more mutation within her body. Okay, welcome back to the quiz. Here are the answers to the five questions. Question number one, in Resident Evil Village, what are Moreau's favourite pastimes? Neptune. <laughs> I think I've got this. 
I think it's watching TV and eating cheese. Watching TV and eating cheese. Mm-hmm. Okay. Rombie, can you elaborate? Uh, uh, cheese and uh, like romantic movies or romantic television, basically. Uh, absolutely spot on, yeah. And Sean? I had classic movies and takeout for some reason. Takeout? <laughs> Which I don't, I don't think there's many McDonald's in the fucking village that we see, but... Okay, so Rob gets full marks there. Point to Rob because he got both. Uh, Takeout doesn't count, I'm afraid. And watching TV doesn't count, I'm afraid. So one point to Rombie there. I don't get half, get half. All right, George Trevor, you can have half. (laughs) (laughs) As should Sean. As should Sean. Okay. All right, then. All right, there's my half a point. I'm going to be so angry about that. Right, question two. It's a stressful list. I don't like being Quizmaster. It's stressful. <laughs> question two. Tricell is descended from a family of shipping merchants. What is the name of that family? Stars Tyrant. I can't remember. I just can't. I'm so tired. It's, <laughs> it's your favourite game as well. I know. It's not, but... Disappointing. Rombie. Is it Travis? That is correct. Well done. Fucking <laughs> hell. Neptune. I had Travis trading. Well done. Well done. Yes! <laughs> Point to Rombie and Neptune there. I'm not, I'm not even supposed to be here today. <laughs> <laughs> right, Question number it. three. How old was Albert Wesker when he and Birkin were appointed chief researchers at Arclay? Rombie. Uh, I couldn't remember. I should remember this from writing this recently, read it, but this is the one I'm like, I can't remember. Was he 24? 24, okay. Neptune. Yeah. I had it as 18, but I um, that was my first thought. But then, I think, then I'm thinking that was actually when he was as Practical Owl and Scholar Will, so I think that's too early. So um, I think it was 25. Is that your final answer? 25, okay. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Star, stars Tyrant? Yeah, I'd put 17, but I actually think that's the year he graduates, and that's not when he's made chief researcher. Disappointing, lads, considering the focus of this episode was on Western <laughs> reports. He was 18 years old. No! no! I, haven't even, I, was I, haven't, right! I haven't even had time to fucking read any of these. <laughs> I was right! It was 18! I always go with the idea that they're younger, but then I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure it took him a few years beforehand. All right, come on then. You should all get this one, especially no. if I've said it before then. What is the name of the researcher in the original game who monitors Plant 42 Neptune? Oh, piss off. Um, <laughs> there's so many people. Um, I've written down, so I've got John Tolman, but I don't think it's him. I think it. Who's the other one? It's not Cluckholm, whatever his name is. Um, don't say that. <laughs> Home. Um, Crackhorn. Crackhorn. Is it oh, Tolman? No, because I think Tolman is John, is in Ada's John. Um, is it Henry Sarton? Correct. Well yes! done. Get it. Uh, Rombie? Yeah, I had Sarton. Henry Sarton. Excellent. And Sean? Henry Sarton. Excellent. Well yes. done, all. Well done. This is question number five. We've all played Resident Evil 2. We all love it. We're all experts on this podcast. So come on, tell me, who is the name of the old man who plays chess with the RPD's Night Watchman? Sean. Thomas. Excellent, yeah, well done. Oh. Rombie? Uh, yeah, Thomas. It's Thomas and George. Oh, well done. And Nick? I had Keith. <laughs> <laughs> I had, I had no idea, I'm afraid, so pick, I picked a name. I'd love to know the backstory for you naturally going towards Keith. 
<laughs> well, it was Scotch, and I thought, no, wait, he's from he's from the um, Itchy Tasty file, so I don't think it's him, so I just went Keith. Oh, Keith. <laughs> oh. What a great name Keith is. Any Keiths who listen, what a great name you've got. <laughs> well, that wraps up the quiz, and this week's winner is Rombie with four out of five. Oh, well done, Rob. Well done, yes. Rombie. Joint second. Thank you, with... cheese and romantic movies. Absolutely. <laughs> Joint second with two and a half points each is Neptune and Star's Tyrant. I'll take that. Well I'll done all. It. It would, I would add point out, had I stuck with my original belief of 18, I, w- I would have come second. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. I know, yeah. I know. But there we go. There we go. <laughs> Well, that was fun. I enjoyed that. You can take over again, Nick. Um, hopefully I didn't shame myself too much, but there we go. Uh, thank you, Batman, for all that. That was uh, brilliant. Join us next time when we'll have, hopefully, return to normality with the quiz. we go thank you everyone thank you one and all we are slowly wrapping up um episode 72 <laughs> we hope you all had fun celebrating uh, supplemental material a whistle stop tour of the entire series from the past 20 years good times good times coming up next episode 73 well it's been requested requested and requested again Episode 73, we'll probably be recording that in November time. We are going to be celebrating another birthday, another milestone, for another game is turning 20 years old in December. Happy birthday, Resident Evil Gaiden. Yes, we are finally covering Gaiden. So strap yourselves in, we are going to be covering the much maligned... But misunderstood. Yeah. Game Boy Color entry. I'm getting my vomit bucket ready, Nick. I'm getting <laughs> no, my vomit no. bucket ready. Good one, Nick. What what are we really doing? <laughs> we are. We are. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, it is 20 years of Resident Evil Guidance, so we're going to have a quick look back at the game, what everyone thinks of it. Because, Sean, you've played it recently. I said recently, like last year. Only with you. I can't even watch those videos back for our fucking. I wish we'd never done that fucking voice (laughs) act now. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Well, if you want to watch that, that is on our YouTube. You can watch us play through the game, complete the game as well, which is always interesting. Um, Well, John, we're going to get you set up playing because I know you haven't ever played it ever. I haven't, no. No, It's the only Biohazard title I've never ever played. So there we go. And if we're feeling brave, we may have a quick discussion on some other portable Resident Evil games that have featured over the years. But there we go. So that's to very much look forward to. I'd like to thank everyone for listening. And uh, on that note, it's goodbye from me, Neptune. Goodbye from me, Batman. Goodbye from me, Star Siren. And goodbye from me, Rumpy. Rumpy.